Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Father, I thank you so much that the cry of our hearts is expressed here. Never failed us. Thank you for the chance to start again, to not just do it because it's a new year, but because, Lord, you are the God that gives us that miracle of blotting out our transgressions. As far as east is from the west, you have removed our transgressions from us. And Lord, not only that, but you have brought us into a big place. You brought us into a wide open place where you say, I'm able to do beyond all you can ask or think, but it's according to the power that's at work within us. So show us today how to activate our side of the promises of God. You have your promise. You have a response from us. Lord, may we understand more clearly our side of what to do. You say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you ask what you will. Lord, we can't ask until we fulfill the side of what you say, if you abide in me. So Lord, thank you for the grace to yet again see where we're missing it where we're not understanding the, the, the thing you want us to do. Lord, maybe what seems to be a delay is our lack of focus. We've not remembered correctly. Help us to remember. Help us to retain. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I, I kind of got this picture, a couple of things. When my brother was crying out to God, I was thinking of the, as Jesus was walking by and blind men begin to cry out and the disciples were trying to hush him up and Jesus said bring him here the other thing was you know when you get frustrated if you you think you remember a pin number whatever your pin number is for whatever it is maybe your bank or whatever and you get three digits right but the one digit isn't right and we begin to get frustrated when we're wrong and it's not that God's holding out on us but there is a there is an exactness to God if he didn't care about his word he wouldn't have written it down people just say well that's not really the Bible that's being flowing and just I'm I'm led by the Spirit." wait a minute if God didn't care about the word he wouldn't have gone to the trouble of writing something down then we'd really be in a mess so let, let let's let's expect some great things today Amen. I'm Rice Brooks, uh, one of the pastors here. It's been an honor to have been here uh, all the way since 1993. Now, when you're old school, you say and you say 19 and 93. Uh, became the pastor here in 2000. In the year 2000, in January 1st, rode up on the first Sunday of 2000, and when they announced I was going to be pastor, I just remember driving up thinking is anybody going to show up and uh we began to grow we raised the hands that you see 
out here in the parking lot. Those are hands from Cape Town. I used to be, was an interim pastor for a year at the University of Cape Town in that area. Those are African hands. We raised that up around the city. Around 2003, sweet little couple came in named James and Debbie Lowe. And uh, he just started working in the parking lot. Here his wife is this great singer that was opening for Whitney Houston and come to find, and, but yet he came here just to serve. And the Lord said to me, that's your successor. And so I went to him in October of 2011. I said, you're supposed to take, we had several, con- you know, we have Brentwood, uh, Murfreesboro and Clark. So I said, you're supposed to take our main campus. And he, he said, let me pray about it. I don't know. So it took several months before he came back. And he said, well, the Lord just told me to serve you and stand by you. I said, okay, well, then I'm asking you to do this. Well, serve me, take this campus. I'm I'm called, I'm kind of the world's oldest living teenager. I go to campuses uh, as my, when people ask me, what do you do? I said, I'm a campus minister. I go to secular campuses and talk on the theme, God's Not Dead, which is something that a a book I wrote that uh, became a movie series. So I take that with me. I take that with me and we... uh, we go to campuses, so it's fun. We start out on a seven, about 7 o'clock at night. Just a few weeks ago at University of North Carolina, 7 o'clock at night. By midnight, they leave. That doesn't mean we go that long, but by a couple of hours when we end, students are just waiting there to talk and to have questions answered. And so, but because, I'm able to do that because Pastor James and Debbie have committed to be the pastors here. And so he prays for me. Uh, Everywhere I go, everything I do, it counts for him. He'll parachute in like, the, like, like he's from Wakanda. He parachutes in to meetings that I do. <laughs> he comes in there and defeats the bad guys. He does so many good things uh, uh, for me and prays. And Debbie will come in and sing uh, so many things. So you, you, you wonder if he has superpowers, he does. And uh, it's an honor to walk with him, and he's one of my best friends in life. Uh, we, we have to distinguish when we talk on the phone. Is it because Debbie will say, you can't talk business. Well, no, no, this is this friend call. This is not business call. This is a friend call. So, and when we get real serious, let me tell you, what's funny about Pastor James is we'll go through some of the most d- difficult discussions, and then, then he'll get to a real serious tone. And he asks, well, what is it? He goes, what do you think about the Lakers? <laughs> It's like, now he's going to go to this deep, like the deepest question. Of course, when I get that deep, I really want to talk about whether professional wrestling is real, which I'm still struggling with. Anyway, so new year, new theme. I'm going to read two scriptures for you today, and then we'll, we'll refer to several. But the uh, anchor text, the beginning text, or Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and Luke 6, 24. So let me read Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves, speaking of the people in the New Testament, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. The theme is today, and I believe it's a theme for the entire year for us, is to be devoted to the Word. We'll have a series coming up called Abide in the Word. Abide, that's just, just, but yet our devotion 
theme. This is a year of devotion. Not devotionals. You can have devotionals and not be devoted. You can have a nice little Bible study and, you know, you, I spent my 15 minutes. Geico says they can save me with 15 minutes. 15 minutes with Jesus. Great. But is that devotion? And that's really something that only you can answer. You're going to have to answer that. Okay? Luke 6, 24 now, this may seem a little disconnected, but these two things are connected, all right? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, this contrasting of devotion and, and despising is really something you can bear out, because when you're devoted to something... Whatever competes with that, you will begin to despise. I mean, from a church perspective, if you're devoted to sports, how dare the church schedule a service on Super Bowl Sunday? I mean, how dare you? And it's, it's funny how those things will militate. In other words, you'll find out what you're devoted to when anything else competes with it. I mean, this has been, I've been married almost 40 years. And, you know, if I even, if I get into a conversation with my wife and even glance down at the phone, even glance at it, I mean, if I even just, I mean, it could be the, pre, the president calling, it doesn't matter. Nothing can compete with her. And boy, there's no faking it too. She can just look at my eyes and tell. And you think if, if my wife is like that, you think God can't see? And you think he's going to be distracted by a lot of noise? We're just going to, uh, he is Lord. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead. Now, you know I'm not in the music group. From the dead. And the Lord says, I want you to do this. No, I won't. See, we just think the Lord just likes a lot of waving and, you know, like that kind of distracts him. Had a friend one time that was witnessing to a guy on the street who was just committed to his alcohol. And he said, he didn't want to give it up. He said, can I pray for you? He said, sure. He said, Lord, I just pray for this drunk. And the drunk guy stopped and said, don't tell him I'm drunk. <laughs> tell him I'm sick. <laughs> like he didn't really know. He knows. I mean, you go to a party and you, you see somebody talking to you, but they're really not looking at you. They're looking around you to everybody else they really want to see. See, I'd just rather you West Texas cuss me than pretend I'm so stupid that I don't know that you don't really care. So don't think that the God who created the eye can't see. He sees. He sees. One of the early verses as a new believer was the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro across the face of the earth, seeking those whose hearts are completely his so he might strongly support them. Second Chronicles 16.9. And I remember just saying, Lord, I, I'm, I, I just realized he's looking at me. Here I am. Okay, so devoted to spies. So I, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to basically, oh, I got my notes, I've got to turn that over, there we go. 
my printer printed out both sides, so I got to remember that's that's how I got confused. So I'm going to start this message at the end. I, my dad, many of you know my story. Uh, I was my my testimony is pretty nondescript. I was just a big knucklehead, but I got saved in college. My third year, came home to talk to my family. My brother was an atheist, had a master's degree in psychology, was at the top of his class at SMU Law School. His hobby was harassing Christians. My brother came home to talk me out of my faith, and on the weekend he did, we baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, he said, he said just don't tell daddy, do not tell dad. And because uh, my dad had hoped he would calm me down. But anyway, my dad ended up getting saved at 57. Uh, very proud man. He was a, a head of exploration for a large oil company called Sonoco. So we live in Africa, Algeria, places like North Africa. He drilled oil wells in the Sahara Desert. So I grew up with a, with a self-sufficient kind of upbringing. Rice University is connected to my family. I say all this for context to show you in the context of what I had to deal with. And so when my dad at 57 got saved, uh, he came to hear me preach. He said, son, you're not bad. He said, but I think you have a fear of stopping. Now, my dad started teaching Sunday school at the Highland Park Presbyterian Church in Dallas, where he became clerk of the session. And he, in his 70s, was talking to people in their 90s and 80s who were so old, they called him in his 70s, Sonny Boy. My dad said, I got up to speak one day, and he said, my dad said, I ha he got up and said, I have so much to say, I don't know where to start. And one of these old boys in the back said, won't you start near the end? <laughs> so I'm going to start near the end. I'm going to give you the altar call of what I'm going to say in a few moments. And here's my altar call. Here's my, um, here's my conclusion. I want you to consider reading the entire New Testament every month this year. Now, didn't I say that nice? Didn't say challenge. I said, I want you to consider. How's that? It feel good? Just set, there, just set it down there real nice. Not sit it. You sat it down there just like that. I was inspired a year ago. I felt the Lord impressed me to read the New Testament every week this past year. So I got into reading it and and got a few weeks into it, and then I re realized in reading the Gospels how much was referenced from the Isaiah 40 through 66, kind of the end of Isaiah. I call it the Gospel of Isaiah. So I started reading those 26. So in desiring to read it every week, I was, it, first it seemed daunting, but I ended the year with like 62 times through that track and kept a very detailed journal. And I, and I believe the Lord wanted me to do it every week for a number of reasons. I'm gonna give you a few but so I could say to you how makeable it is to read the New Testament every month. This is not, this is not a Steph Curry half-court shot, okay? This is a LeBron dunk for you, Pastor James. This is LeBron dunk, all right? Um, you don't have to say, man, I get that. Remember, I, I'm, listen, if you're running from God and you showed up here, you're not doing a very good job. So I'm assuming that everybody here wants to be here. You're trying to get to God. And what I'm trying to do along with my partners in ministry, Pastor James, Pastor Dave, and the rest of this team, is to help you do that, to help you, to help you escape from the gravitational orbit you're in 
that keeps you year after year coming back to the same problems and you're not getting anywhere. Making a lot of noise, you know, but you're not getting anywhere. And I want to see that happen. Now, for me, the motivation was Revelation where it says, go back to your first works. When I became a Christian in the late 70s, I listened. I had six cassette tapes on faith. I listened to them so many times. This was a guy on the radio and television. I'd get up and I'd just preach those messages. And somebody came up to me one time with my little 20 people on campus. They said, Rice, there's a guy on the radio that's stealing all your stuff. I thought, yeah, it happens to me all the time. I was stealing his stuff. But the other thing I did was I just read the New Testament over and over and over again. Because I was, I was raised in a church, I kind of gave it away in a, a moment ago, the denomination, and I thought, well, I didn't know about being filled with the Spirit, even being born again, healing, all this. And I, I just kept reading the New Testament like, what else did I not get told about? So I just kept reading it almost to figure out what else has been left out. And so reading it over and over again, next thing you know, is I began to be devoted to that, something began to happen to me. Now, I was called by God, but when I graduated in accounting for Mississippi State and my dad in the oil business, I had all these opportunities to go. You're talking about privilege. I had the privilege. But then God said, I'm going to give you real privilege. I'm going to give you the privilege of making $60 a week on a college campus. So I started, there's still a place at the University of Tennessee where I started you can go, it's a, it's a coffee shop now, right, on, right near campus, and I took my son who went to Tennessee, Wyatt, and into that coffee shop, I said, see where that bathroom is? I used to live back there, basically where the bathroom is now. That's how my ministry got started. And a little storefront campus ministry that was so strange, I didn't even want to invite people to it. You ever been in a church like that where you people say, where, where you go to church? Well, I can't, we're not meeting right now. I mean, I, I was literally, because I didn't know when I brought a visitor what was going to happen. It was going to be, the helicopter woman was going to get loose. There was one girl that when she prayed or worshiped, her eyes didn't really close all the way. It scared me real bad. It's kind of like the body snatchers. I thought, let's just wait till we grow a little bit before I bring a visitor. We never grew. But the word became so real to me that it didn't matter. It was like I could see beyond that little 30 people. I could see it. The word was so real to me. I wasn't viewing life through what I could see with these eyes. As Paul talked about the eyes of your heart. Now all of a sudden, what I could see in the promises of God was more real than anything I could see physically. And I've gone into many nations and many cities, and that word, it's the word that you put on. And now you're talking about virtual reality giving you another world. You put these, you put the goggles of the word, word on, and you can see something that's there. That's what the prophet told. He said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. Motivation. Uh, I believe this is actually more vital than any human discipleship. You know, we talk about discipleship a lot, but really when I look back on my upbringing spiritually, it wasn't some great discipleship moment. It was really people holding one another accountable just to get in the Word. So I can't point to a man and say, you discipled me. In fact, the guy that discipled me to begin with backslid. Two of them backslid. 
So you're talking about having reasons to quit. And you know why? Because, and I've heard this many times, I've heard great preachers. You can be great gifted and you can say, what happened to him? And I, I remember uh, one very prominent minister who, who fell and became a disgrace. And it's always been my fear. Lord, just if, you, if that's going to happen to me, just kill me. If I'm going to do something like that to discredit you, kill me. I'd pray that. And then I'd get on these plane rides to Africa and the plane would start shaking. Go, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't kill me till I do it. Let me do it, then kill me. Then I took that back. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I, you tell me fearing God, I love my, oh, fear of the Lord is respect. Yes, like my daddy, I respected him. But let me tell you, there was a side of my daddy, I feared. A good fear, like cholesterol, good and bad kind, it was good fear. Where was I? You see, you were closing. <laughs> so, more, more vital than the discipleship. But you know what, people, I was, I was saying that visible ministers who had great gifting, people would tell me when you, they kind of do the autopsy, they stopped reading their Bible. Because you can get up and holler around and say, you know, God's going to do great things. There's an amazing revival going. I mean, I can hype that up. I got that gear. It doesn't go very high, but I still got that gear. You got a visitor here, you said, man, he's about to get good. Now, this is it. It's kind of like watching my little two-inch vertical jump. This is about all I got. Now, I can pretend I'm just warming up. I got more, but this is about it. But I got a little more hype if I know I need it, but I got so tired of hyping people up versus saying, let me, let me give you some realistic expectations. If you will get in this word, you will really quit calling things that you call amazing, amazing. Most of what we call amazing is not amazing. Wasn't an amazing song, wasn't an amazing thing, isn't this amazing? No, listen, why don't we just stop using that word because we have nowhere else to go if that's amazing and we're content to call that amazing, we've really lowered our bar. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good. Reading the New Testament every month 260 chapters in the New Testament. If you read 10 chapters a day for 26 days, you've got four to spare. Or was, as we say in Tennessee, extra with a Y. You've got some extra days. The tendency is to gravitate. When people tell me they read the Bible, I don't really. I, I, what you end up doing is like we all do is we gravitate to our favorite passages and we kind of live there. When you read the entire New Testament, it forces you into confronting the things you don't want to confront again and again and again, okay? Things that we will avoid. You know, the, old, the New Testament has greater weight. If you, listen, I'm a theologian. Well, I will, in the broadest sense, I'm a, my doctorate is in missiology. I don't have a PhD. I have what's called a D-miss. So when people see me, they think I'm a Democrat from Mississippi. But as a missiologist, in the broad sense of being a theologian, we got a real one on the front row in Pastor Dave, Dr. Dave. He's a PhD from Princeton. You will not find that. Trust me. You can go around the charismatic, non-denominational world, and you will very, you will, it, is, it is as rare. Listen. Having a PhD from Princeton and being a, and being a saved, Bible-believing theologian is as rare as you can get. It is so rare. So we got a treasure. 
we got a treasure. That's why I so appreciate Pastor James and y'all's relationship that brought that team. But the New Testament has greater weight. Jesus said, my words are going to judge you on the last day. So if, wait a minute, if his words are going to judge us on the last day, shouldn't we study what his words are? I mean, he's given you the keys to the test. If we spend our time in the Psalms, you know, we always kind of flip open the Bible to our favorite. And really, when we open our Bibles and we say we're reading them, many times we gravitate to the things that make us the star of the show. We're the David being persecuted. We're the this and the that. One one guy came up to me and said, "Uh, Dr. Rice, who do you think the Antichrist is? I said, well, if you're not really sold out to Jesus, it might be you. I mean, what is the Antichrist? Let's break it down. This is real deep. comes from two words, anti-Christ. means everything Christ is, you're against. So why don't you learn what Christ has to say, and then you'll realize how much of that Antichrist spirit is in your own soul. That the things you hear... Or the things you feel all of a sudden, well, why am I against that? Well, that's a spirit in the world called the Antichrist. First John says that many Antichrists are here, and it's here now. All right. Another thought, why you should do this. It helps you retain what you've gained. When you read the New Testament consistently and become devoted to the Word, You actually, see, you're going to be devoted to something. So what happens is, according to the fourth chapter of Mark, the word could be sown in you, but other things choke the word out. See, you can believe in the Bible, but not benefit from the Bible. You can know it's true, just like you can know what good food is. You can have have a solid belief in healthy food and not benefit from it. So it actually takes faith to get faith. To him who has, more is given. But to him who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now that's scary, that what, that what little you've had, if you aren't faithful with it, why? Because when other things, uh, Mark says, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So if you put a bunch of leaves on top of your green grass or just take your barbecue top. I got an old school barbecue where you just take that down or maybe an old blow up swimming pool and put that on the grass, come back in a month and you, and you say, what happened? It was so good. My life was so great at one time. And why and now just in a short period of time, you've covered up and now it's choked it. And now look at what it's become. And that's what we're doing. I mean, you can have it on your phone, but listen, when I open up my phone like this to my Bible, you're talking about other things, and they're not bad things. See, it didn't say sin chokes the word. Mark 4 says the desire for other things enter in and choke it, which means now I've got my email, I got my text, I got all this, all this competing, and the word is this one little app. And then before I get to the word, let me do the next thing you know. I'm over here. Oh, let me just see. Just a minute. I just get to see. I just. Oh, hold on a minute. Yeah, I'll be right back, Jesus. Hold on a minute. Don't give. Oh, I got to check this score because I've only really devoted to you. I I just got to find out what's going on. And so that's me. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. That's what I do. See, that's my sin. That's my distraction. 
Paul talked about having undevoted distraction in 1 Corinthians 7, but we've got undistracted devotion. I mean, undevoted, distracted devotion. We have undevoted distraction. I messed that up. That would have been a good line that just came to me. First service didn't hear that. Study for other things. You begin to experience a New Testament life. I think one of the things that provoked me as a young believer is I began to read the Bible and I began to live in it. You know, it's like when I was, I have five kids and when I'd read little storybooks to my kids when they were little and they liked them, they tried to put their foot in the book. You ever had a little baby like that that wanted to get in the book? And that's what I was doing as a baby Christian. I was going to get in the book. And I started living in the New Testament. And the more you read the New Testament over and over again, yes, your mind gets renewed. Your brain gets rewired. My anxiety level just dropped like taking something that makes your blood pressure go down. Things that I used to be distracted by. So I watched this year and chronicled almost every day of a journal, just chronicling what happened when I just devoted myself to the Word. Took me to read it in a week. Took me about three hours a day, less. Wasn't that much. An hour and a half in the morning, I could not only read, but I could listen, put it in there. I mean, it was so simple. So that's why I'm saying reading it in a month, 10 chapters a day, is a makeable putt. Now, devotion, that's up to you and the Lord. You can, you, can, you can do whatever you want. All I'm saying is if you want to be devoted to the Word and you want the benefits of the Word, then whatever else you're doing that you're really being devoted to, you'll begin to compare it and say, you'll be able, you'll be able to keep yourself honest. So you can fool me, fool Pastor James, but you can't fool yourself unless you try hard. You'll begin to say, wait a minute, am I really devoted? And you know what happened? I began to actually despise the things that were taking me away from the Word. Instead of me despising that I couldn't watch my sports, I was finding ways in the middle of the game to have my headphones in. Laughing at the things, you know, the team's doing bad. What, are you with us over there? Well, I got my headphones in. That's okay. Listen to the Word. Finding a way to get in the Word. Now, is that normal? No, it's not normal. It's not normal at all. But if you want normal, then you got a bunch of that. We got a bunch of normal. If you want to be, if you want to live in the, in the, see, you ever see these advertisements of a nice hamburger? You see the Wendy's or the whatever you like, and it's the, the, the lettuce is just, I mean, perfect. The, the everything, the cheese. You look at that burger, they got a picture of that airbrushed burger in their store, and then you get your burger. I mean, sometimes I just take the burger they give me, and I just go up to the sign on their wall, and I'll hold it up. Like wanting them to look and say, do you see what this looks like? I mean, just hold our lives up next to what the New Testament is. Is that what we want? I mean, you can have that. That's normal. Turn this page over. 1 John 2, 7 says you have an anointing from the Holy One. As much as we have teachers, it also says is that you have this anointing that will teach you. See, I've got a Bible study book with Pastor Steve Merle. It's almost 2 million in print, 26 languages. We've got books. But you know what? At some point, there's always another study, another plan, something between you and the Word. And I'm just to the point of saying, look, don't worry about my book or my study. Just open your Bible, your New Testament. 
Now, if you just spend your time in the Old Testament, a lot of the nonsense that went on last year and before were preachers and people taking Old Testament context and trying to make this look politically and that. I mean, you can, you can literally make balloon animals out of the Bible all you want if you're just kind of picking and choosing. But if you're so spiritual that you're, you know something beyond what the New Testament writers felt, then you and I are probably not going to be friends. And the more you read the New Testament, you'll begin to smell what is weird. I'm talking weird stuff done in the name of Jesus. Weird. And it's just not, 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, you need to learn what the saying means. Don't go beyond what's written. I mean, it just, now we're we're into, now, now we're just into speculative fantasy. And really what you got to do is, 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 see, most people listen to the voice in their head more than the voice of the New Testament. They listen to the voice in their head. You think the voice in your head is the voice of God. No, no, that's you. That's your voice, and you've learned to deify that voice. And the way I know it is is that I can show you what Jesus said, and if that disagrees with what the voice in your head, you believe the voice in your head more than you believe the voice of the word. I'm telling you. I sit there, I sit there on the front, talk, talk to people. I'm thinking about getting divorced. Well, I don't really like him. He doesn't like me. I said, okay, let me tell you. Let me break it down real smooth. Let me break it down smooth. What did he do? Okay. What did she do? Okay. All right, here's what, are you ready? Brace yourself. You need to forgive him. You need to forgive her. Well, I no, no, it's deeper than that. Okay, how deep? Okay, now there are things that the Bible is explicit about that say you've disqualified yourself. I'm not talking about that. But I'm telling you, most people are dying in their marriages and in their spiritual life, not from something like that, but from a paper cut. Oh, she doesn't encourage me. Listen, I don't even think I'm my wife's in her top 10 favorite preachers. I don't ever go home and say, how did I do? Ever. I don't. I don't want to know. If, if no news is good news. I kind of walk in after a message, and I just kind of walk very just softly like that. Because if I can get through the door in, the lab, but in five minutes and we can change the subject, then she's forgotten it. But she's everything I need. I mean, I heard about, you know, one religious leader that they were in you know, group said he was infallible. And a friend of mine said, yeah, it's easy to think you're infallible if you're not married. Just wait till you get a mirror walking around beside you. But that's what the word is. Word's a mirror. He looked down in a makeup mirror. I remember one time I got grounded when I was a kid, and I looked in my mama's makeup mirror. She had left home, and as I was just wandering around the house, she had a makeup mirror with two sides to it. One side was normal, and the other side was magnified with lights all around it. I remember turning that mirror over and looking in that mirror, the magnified mirror with lights on, looking in that, and realizing at that moment why women wear makeup. Because I wanted to put some on. It's like, who is this? Who is this person I am looking at? That's not me. Well, who else is it? 
It's just a side of you you don't want to see. The good news about this mirror, it not only shows you what's wrong. When you flip the other side over, it shows you what you can be. And when you behold as in a glass, Paul said, the glory of the Lord, you were transformed into that image from glory to glory. Let me land this plane. What does it look like? It looks like just being like everything else. It's, it's like binge watching your favorite show. I mean, think of all the things we don't even think about time. Hours we spend. One guy told me, he said, man, I gotta, put a, I gotta watch myself because I can play this video game eight hours. So when, when Jesus is talking about what is the kingdom of God like, and he said the kingdom of God is like a person that casts seed here, there, what is devotion like? It's like all the things you could probably say you're devoted to, and now put that paradigm, put that standard on the word, and say, am I devoted? There's so many promises that we're going to start a series called Abide. If you, but again, if you abide in me, John 15. If, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will. Now, again, you don't have to be a mathematician to understand or a logician, somebody that's a, a, an expert in logic to understand the if-then conditional statement. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask what you will and it will be done. So we're doing all this asking and when it doesn't happen, we say, wait a minute, maybe this, this if part has something to do with that. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will. So rather than focus on the asking, focus on the abiding, the devotion part. He is able, Ephesians 3.20, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. When I, again, when I became pastor in 2000 and I started to say this and got diverted, the Lord spoke to my heart when I became the pastor here January 1st of 2000. I don't think the first was on a Sunday. I'll have to look back and see. But the first Sunday of that year, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, the people don't have enough word inside of them coming once a week to get them out of their orbit. And so very quickly I started a thing called winning in life. And it was basically kind of a set of meetings where I called myself to preach in a concentrated way to the people. And the first one I did was called living an extraordinary life. I think they were on cassettes. I mean, CDs were not, you know, they were coming in, but uh, and then when we got CDs, we thought we were really, you know, cutting edge. This is on CD now. But the premise was Acts chapter 19, where it says, and God was doing extraordinary things through the hands of Paul. So the first wing in life was called living an extraordinary life. And just wait a minute, Paul was an apostle, but yet if you look at that verse, and God was doing extraordinary things through the hands of Paul, right above it it said, Paul preached daily to the disciples, every day the word, all in Asia heard the word of God, and then it says, and God was doing extraordinary things to the hands of Paul. So guess what? They had an extraordinary, not normal, not ordinary, extraordinary amount of the word coming into them, 
And without trying to be spiritual, without trying to be extraordinary, without trying to hype up amazing, amazing things happen. You know, when we say, give the Lord a hand clap in church, and we give this little pitiful, little, okay, I'm always in, under my breath going, Jesus, I'm sorry for that. Forgive us for that pitiful little hand clap. I mean, go to the Titans game and hear out an ovation. It's fun. Nobody's on there. Come on, everybody. Put your hand together. Let's give the Titans a hand clap. You know, it's like, are you kidding? Have you ever heard a roar of excitement? In the book of Acts chapter 19, when they challenged the gods of, of, of Ephesus, it says the people who followed Artemis shouted, great is Artemis, for two hours. I thought, can you imagine a two-hour shout of one phrase? But when you're devoted to something, you despise anything that contends. In other words, if Jesus would have just been another option that would have been compatible with, with Artemis, the god of, of Ephesus, no problem. So, what did I say? Didn't mean to get heavy. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. Listen, I do this all the time in the old days, but you might as well learn it if you knew. I'm not moonwalking, I'm not showcasing all my talents in one sermon. Every step away from God you take, you will find somebody waiting on you to tell you you're doing the right thing. Every step away from God you take. How do you know? Just say, say Jesus, and look, you don't have to, we don't have to have an altar call. This is going to be a, a, a seat call. You're going to be right there in your seat. Just right there. Say, okay, Lord, today, I want to be devoted to your word. Don't say you're devoted to him and not be devoted to your word. Because Jesus said, if you don't love my word, you don't love me. Can't love the word and not love Jesus, and you can't love Jesus and not love the word. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth doesn't set you free until, unless you fulfill the if part, if you continue in it. I have many other things to share with you, but you cannot bear them now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this people. Thank you for the ears to hear that I believe they have. And their silence and the stilling of their minds to listen and not just amening shows me that they are taking note of this. Lord, I pray for a people that you want to be truly great. Great people. You said John the Baptist, none was greater than him. But you said he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. You are great, O oh God, and you have made us in your image, so we are therefore made for greatness. There's none greater than you, but Lord, you called us in your image to have great faith, not little faith. Great things. Lord, let each life, not just what Pastor James and I do. Lord, I'm asking that every gift, every calling, every business person, every teacher, every politician, everyone listening to this would answer the call to greatness in this one life they have. And not because they want to be, Lord, more than an athlete who wants to be great would just go and lounge and not work out. Lord, may we discipline ourselves 
for godliness. Bodily discipline profits only a little. So when we're all thinking at the first of the year about what we can do physically, Lord, may this be more focused today in this moment and this year on our spirits, on growing, not revolving and gravitating around the same problems year in and year out. Do something truly extraordinary through a people that are devoted to your word. In Jesus' name.